0: This is going to be a challenging week. But let me tell you, the same one who's on the throne today is going to be on the throne whatever day we get election results. Who knows? I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of messy right now. But he's on the throne. And if you've got Jesus in your life, you know, if you've been undone, by the mercy of Jesus. You've got a hope far, far, far greater than what's going on in the political world around us. I want to tell you today, uh, obviously you may have strong opinions about the election. I do too. Okay. But I will tell you that we need to recognize the one who sits on the throne. We need to be reminded that I've got Jesus and I'm, I know that he's in my life forever and ever, and we need to be reminded that the same God who's helped us all and been faithful through all of our life will be faithful. He does not change. And that's our hope. Now, let me just encourage you to take some time and pray uh, for our country. Proverbs 14 tells us that righteousness exalts a nation, so we need to stop and pause and, and do that. But ultimately, our hope is far greater than who sits uh, in Washington, D.C., okay? Obviously, we have concerns about that, and there are some key issues that we, uh, as believers, need to be aware of. But the truth of the matter is, is we have a kingdom that will be unshakable and eternal, and we need to focus a little more there. I think that's for all of us, okay? So... With that, I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4 because it tells us about the last days. And then we're going to take a moment and we're going to pray together for our nation and we're going to pray over God's word today. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1. Paul, writing to Timothy, says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word... Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. for The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all who have loved His appearing. And with that, let's pray together. And let's take a moment and and do pray for our election and for our nation. Lord, your word tells us about what the the last days will look like. God, But we don't know when they'll come. And so, Lord, would you... Would you just bring a fresh spark of revival to our nation? Would you bring people to a point of conviction? May they experience the joy of repentance. May our hearts be lifted to the one who sits on the throne. God, we ultimately know that you are in control and we pray for your will to be done. But your word tells us that righteousness exalts a nation, and sin is a reproach to any people. So I pray, God, that righteousness would prevail. Lord, as we open your word today, would you speak to us? Would you challenge us as believers living in what could be the last days? And may we have open hearts, open minds, and a fresh sense of boldness to go with the greatest message, the message of hope, the message of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul, as he's writing 2 Timothy 4, is not only writing his last letter, but now he's into his last few paragraphs that he shares with the young preacher, Timothy, who is pastoring in the area of Ephesus. As he shares, he talks in verse number 3 about the, the times that will come. These times are in reference all the way back to 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verse number 1 where he tells us that in the last days there will be perilous or difficult times for believers. As Paul challenges Timothy and says, hey, The last days are going to be challenging for believers. He kind of lays out and makes it very clear that the only hope is in the message that he has already shared with Timothy. The message of the gospel, the message of salvation, the good news. He reminds Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15 and just... Just as a reminder, Paul did not number and write chapter numbers. He just wrote a letter, okay? We put that in there for convenience later. But Paul just has written in 2 Timothy 3.15 that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise into salvation. And now he turns around and tells him in verse number 2 to preach the word. Did you know that everyone in their life has an authority? Everyone answers or has some kind of authority in their life. Their authority may be themselves. That I'm going to do what I think is right. I'm going to, to live according to what I feel is right. My theology will be how I perceive God, what I look at. And it's all about self. There are others who find their authority in what others may say. It could be the culture. And if culture says this is the way it should be, then I'm just going to believe that's the way it should be. If my professor said this, or if a religious leader said this, or somebody said this, I'm going to trust someone else. It's somebody else out there. So I can trust myself, I can trust someone else, or the picture is, is the final authority for our life as believers is in God's word. We looked last week in 2 Timothy 3.16 and, and looked at that passage where it says that all scripture is God-breathed. That God inspired this book. And for believers, we do not get a choice of saying, boy, I like a little bit of this or I'm not going to take so much of that. The picture is is that God has revealed His word to us, and so He challenges Timothy in this passage to preach the word, not culture, not psychology, not psychiatry, not philosophy, but preach the word. He makes it very, very clear in this passage. Now there are those today who say, you know, I, 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 I like the Bible. I like First John 4.8, God is love, and that's all they want to know about God. That his mercy endures forever, as Psalm 136 consistently reminds us. But they don't want to look to Isaiah 6, where God is seated on the throne, and the angels, the seraphim, are there crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. We don't want to look at the passage, even as we we look in this passage we just read, that the Lord is going to judge those on that day. We don't like to look at those kinds of things sometimes, and especially our world. I was knocking on doors several years ago, I was a... just surrendered to ministry. I was working in the bus ministry, knocking on doors, seeing if boys and girls would be interested in coming to church. Parents would allow them to do that. And I knocked on the door at one house and, and he said, I, I believe, uh, I, I believe parts of, of the Bible, but you know what? There's just so many interpretations out there. And I don't know, just in one second, I'm probably 19 years old at the time, just in one second, the Lord just Boom, brought John 14, 6 to my mind. And I said, you know, in John 14, 6, it's Jesus said, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, let me ask you, how would you interpret that? See, the picture of, of our life is that we have an authority, God's word, and we have the way of salvation. But in this passage, we see four signs of the times. And they're laid out for us. Notice with me in verse number three. He says this as we think about these four signs of the times. He tells us that people will not endure or tolerate sound teaching. He says, verse three, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. People will not tolerate they will not tolerate the teaching of God's word. That's what he says. They'll not tolerate this sound teaching. It's interesting. When we think of the word endure, we think of holding on. And he says they're not going to endure. Man, they're going to let go. As soon as life gets a little challenging and as soon as, as they, they try to walk for the Lord and life gets a little difficult, they're, they're letting go. They're not going to endure. They're not going to tolerate sound teaching. But the word sound is a very interesting word. The etymology of the Greek word sound is where we get our English word hygiene. We think of hygiene. We think of health. We think of something that will save our life. And he says in the last days, people are not going to hold on to or tolerate healthy, life-giving doctrine. But what's going to happen next? He he tells us, verse number three, they're not going to hold on to endure, uh, endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. What we find then is that people are going to look for teachers that will bring a soothing message. They're going to look for teachers that will please them. He gives the picture of, of itching ears the the word itching gives a picture of of soothing some of some of your your translations may say tickling okay they're going to look for a soothing comfortable word it's like a a light scratch on the back oh that's what they're going to want for their ears they're going to want something that soothes them and what they're going to do is they're going to look for somebody who's going to make me Feel good about me. I'm, I'm not interested in, in being right and doing right and trusting the Lord. I just want to feel right. So I'll find somebody who'll tickle my ears and just bring a soothing message that says, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. That's the picture. He goes on then as, as he uh, describes that people then are going to turn from the truth. Notice verse number four. And they will turn their ears away from the truth. They'll turn from the truth. This is as old as Genesis chapter 3. When the serpent came to Eve and say, did God really say? She said, man, we we can't eat of this tree. Matter of fact, we can't even touch it, which she added to God's word there. But she said, lest we die. And you remember what the serpent said? You will not surely die. Deception. John 6 calls the evil one the the deceiver and the father of all lies. He is a liar. And then we see that fourth sign is that people will wander into myths. Notice what he says. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. They'll do turned aside to fables. (laughs) The the picture is, is that... They'll just believe whatever they want. Even if it doesn't make any sense... They'll, they'll follow that. The, the Bible tells us, and, and, and Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and he says that the natural man doesn't receive the things of God. These are spiritual things. They're undiscerning to them. And so they just make up some wild tale. They make up some fable, and people invest their life into this. And he says, this is what it's going to be like in the last days. But then, throughout this section, we find Paul challenging believers. Now listen, every time Paul mentions in Second in Timothy chapter three, at the at the in in that section, as we see Paul in First Timothy chapter four, and then we look in Second Timothy chapter four. Every time Paul mentions the last days, he does not say that believers should just post a white flag in the sky and say, "Look, I mean, we just surrender. We surrender to the culture." There's too many of you. No. Paul gives them a challenge and so this morning out of this passage I want to offer you five challenges and we're going to move quickly so listen quickly here we go first off we think about the five calls or the five challenges of believers number 1 read your bible read your bible the bible says it's god's it's it's god breathed it, all scripture is given by inspiration of god and then he says that god's word is profitable. It's profitable for you. It's profitable for doctrine. It will show you what is right. It is profitable for reproof. It'll show you what is not right. It is profitable for correction. It will help you to get right. It is profitable for instruction. It will help you walk in a way that is right. So we see God's word is laid out for us. We see this picture that God lays before us. Look at 2 Timothy 3. He says that the scripture is given. It is profitable for doctrine and for reproof. That word reproof gives a picture of correcting us and, and guiding us in the right, the right way. The Bible confronts us and reproves us when we're not right. It is profitable for correction that the Bible tells us how to get right. and in instruction, it tells us how to stay right. The Bible is profitable for us, but I'm afraid that too many believers, especially in this season... Instead of looking to the one who sits on the throne and listening to the God-breathed, inspired word, we want to watch the news and listen to the blogs uh, and, and, and look at the tweets. Listen, the same God who was on the throne last week will be on the throne next week. And we need to be reminded, read your Bible. Let me ask you. If we wait out your TV time, your tweet time, your blog time versus your Bible time, what would it look like? You say, buddy, I'm, I'm, I'm busy. I'm working. And I understand that. Life's busy. I understand that. But all of us take a drive to work. You can listen to something that will inspire you and focus you on the things of God. You can go on many podcasts. You you can read lots of different books. Blog- Listen, the picture is: is we need to be people of the book. This is the answer. Do you understand? This is the answer. This is the hope that we have. If Scripture is God breathed and inspired, then we need to look at it and say, "Yes, Lord," and we need to get in it. That's the power of God's Word. Read your Bible. Secondly, you need to focus on His presence. As we think about uh, who God is and, and what he has, has done, we need to look to uh, the presence of God. Keep your focus. Notice in chapter 4 and verse number 1. Keep your focus. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Paul gives Timothy a challenge. Focus on the presence of God. Focus on the presence. I charge you before God. You stand before God. Focus on his presence. He's with you. He walks with you. The picture is here, the word before gives the picture of coming before someone in court. And you stand before the most honorable judge Festus. The picture for us as believers is every moment of our life, we stand before the most high King of kings, Lord of lords, the God of all the universe. We stand before him, so focus on his presence. That should bring a sense of conviction in our life, but it also should bring an awful lot of comfort in our life. As Psalm 73, 23 reminds us that God holds our right hand and he's always with us. Focus on his presence. But not only does he mention his presence in this this passage, but he says focus on the appearance of Christ. Notice what he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing. (laughs) We have far greater hope than who sits in the White House in the Oval Office on Pennsylvania Avenue. Jesus is coming. I read on the news this week that 65% of people in a a poll that was given, and uh, it was really kind of aimed toward those who who did therapy. But 65% of the people that were polled had moderate to very high stress about the election. Can I tell you two things? God's with you. Jesus is coming for you. Our hope is not in politics. God's on the throne. Jesus is coming. That's our hope. That's our hope. And that's what he says. He says, look, I want you to focus on the... You stand before God. Do you think that in the Apostle Paul's day that he gets to be the, the citizen of, of the month? No. Paul is in a Roman jail half of his life Uh, The last part of his life, he spends time in in jail in different cities. Remember in Philippi where he is arrested? In Philippi he's arrested and and he says in Philippians chapter 1, and now the whole polished guard have heard the message of salvation. God can use even a government that may be oppressive to believers to get his word out. And that's exactly what we find in the Apostle Paul's life. So have faith. Jesus is coming. God's presence is with us. But notice what he says as well. He says that Jesus is going to judge the living and dead at his appearing and his kingdom. The reality of his kingdom. Philippians 3.20, and let me just remind you, I say this, I try to say this every few months. You are not citizens of earth who will one day go to heaven. You are citizens of heaven who are passing through the earth. Let's get it in our mind. Let's get it in our heart that we are citizens of heaven who are passing through the earth. We have a far greater kingdom that is before us. Keep your focus. Trust him. He's with you. Jesus is coming for you to bring you to a kingdom that is eternal. That's the good news. That's what we sang about this morning. That's what we believe. That keeps us from being stressed out. Keep your focus. Thirdly, he challenges Timothy In verse number two, with those words, preach the word. And we as believers are called to be people who share the word. The word preach that is is used there is the word caruso, which means to herald out, to proclaim. Now, I realize that he is writing to a preacher in this passage and that not everyone is called to be a preacher or a pastor. I'm thankful for that. I like to preach to people. I already have all of our staff who want to get up here as often as they can and preach anyway, so I'm glad that preachers have people to preach to. The picture is for all of us is we're all called to be sharing the word the way God opens up opportunities for us. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But notice as he calls Timothy to share the word, he, he tells him, preach the word, be ready in season and out. There's power in words. There's great power in words. I was just rethinking uh, this week. I was writing something down. February 24th of 2016, when the ER doctor came into my room and he put his left hand uh, on, or he put his right hand on, on my left shoulder and he looked down in my eyes and said, Man, I don't know how to tell you this. I don't always have good bedside manner, but you have cancer. There's power in those words. I just had a CT scan, and my doctor appointment's not until December, but I got an email this week. It says, Mr. Perstrope, your CT shows no evidence of cancer. Listen, those, there's power in those words. That's powerful. Now he tells Timothy to preach the word. These words are important. There's lots of important words. I love you. We watch people as they walk down this aisle and they say those words, I do. Important words. But, but there are no more important words than in John 3, 16, where it tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There are no more important words that have ever been uttered. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are the words. So we're to share these words. Listen, you may not be a, a preacher and you may not stand up at your workplace or or uh in, in, in your neighborhood and get a bullhorn and, and yell at everybody, but the picture is is are we people who just have this passion so that people can know the truth about Jesus? So we're to share his word passionately. And that's the picture here. Caruso proclaim. Let everybody know the truth of salvation. Share passionately. That's that picture of preach the word. But then he says to share persistently. He says, notice, be ready in season and out of season, when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. When it's challenging, when life's hard. He he goes down later and he says that we're to endure afflictions, even when it's hard. We're to share God's word fully. That means that we, we talk about the holiness and the righteousness and the wrath of God, as well as talking about the love and the mercy and the grace of God. We share his word fully. And then as we think about this word, he challenges him to, to preach the word. We preach it urgently. Notice verse number five. Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. That's sharing the message of the gospel. This week was the Missouri Baptist Convention and uh, Russ Martin is over here on this side and he's the president of the Missouri Baptist Children's Home. And as he stood before the messengers, I I loved, loved his report. He shared about a young girl uh, who had come into the Missouri Baptist Children's Home, a girl who had come in and she had been involved in human trafficking. What a horrible, probably unthinkable life and experiences she has had. She comes in as a victim of human trafficking. As she comes in, she holds and calls herself a Wiccan. That is someone who takes a little paganism and a little witchcraft and they kind of mold it all together. And she had her books and her uh, things that she would. Uh, say. And, and he said, you know, the staff was a little, little nervous about this. <laughs> they, they debated, I mean, what, what do we do? Should we take her in? Should we not take her in? What do we do with her when she is in? So they decide to bring her in, and the staff begins just to pray. And beginning, she starts out uh, pushing back on the gospel and trying to intimidate staff. But on October 22nd, just a couple of weeks ago, she opened her heart and her life to Jesus. And she said this, it was like a weight had been lifted. Listen, that's why we share urgently. People need the message of Jesus. People who feel hopeless and helpless and hurt, they need the hope that comes with Jesus alone. They need the help and the forgiveness and the salvation to experience the mercy of God in their life. So I want to tell you, share the word. You say, I'm not called to be a preacher. Well, notice the next thing that, 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 that we want to focus on. It is, it is the aspect of fulfilling that ministry, that call that we have. Notice in verse number five, be watchful Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. But notice those last three words. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. God may not have called you to preach. He may not have gifted you to be a teacher. He, you, you may not sing in a choir or play an instrument. But God has called each one of you. He's not only called you, he has gifted and equipped you. So that you can make an impact for his kingdom. The Lord is coming. And he, before he, he, he comes to get us, he wants to find that we were fulfilling what he called us to do. Ephesians 2.10. We love Ephesians 2.8.9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We love those words of salvation. But sometimes we forget verse 10. For we are his workmanship." created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. The picture is, is that God in eternity past would see your life, he would gift you and have a calling for your life, and we don't even understand all the aspects of that. It completely blows our mind, and we can't grasp it with our finite mind, mind, but God has a work for you to do. God has gifted you for something. God calls you to do something in ministry. Maybe it's behind the scenes that you're ministering and and in, in secret to someone who's hurting and showing mercy and grace and kindness. Maybe you're you're in, over in the prayer room pouring out your heart for people who are lost or people who are hurting. Maybe you have gifts of administration or or maybe God's given you talents in music or maybe God has called you to to work with boys and girls or preschoolers. Listen, don't let Jesus come and him find you sitting. I don't know about you, but when Jesus comes, I, I want him to find me worshiping wholeheartedly. Serving gratefully, giving generously, loving sacrificially. I, I want him to find me busy about the work. Have you ever walked into a conversation and all of a sudden you walk up and it gets quiet? I have this feeling... When Jesus comes, some of us are going to get awful quiet because we realize how he gifted us, how he blessed us, how he equipped us, and we didn't, didn't, didn't use the gifts he'd given us. Those weren't pastors, preachers, full-time vocational uh, folks who who uh, get to study God's word all the time, who began to work and build in these early churches. Yes, pastors were there. Ephesians 4.11 says that they were there equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. But it was believers as they would say, you know what? God's gifted me to make a difference. I've got to go. God's called me. God's equipped me. God's given me resources. So I'm going. I'm moving. I'm going to make a difference for the kingdom. Fulfill your ministry. Sometimes those three little words, fulfill your ministry, can give us a big, major, convicting challenge. And look, if you say, buddy, it's it's been so long and I've lived so much of my life already, I want to challenge you with these words, finish well. No matter where you are, just finish well. You can't go back and, and, and relive the past, but you can finish well. So do it. Finish well. Run your race. Fulfill your ministry. Finish well. And that brings us to the last thought of finishing well, where he says and challenges us to finish our race. Notice in verse number six, Paul says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul realizes he is about to be martyred. It is getting close. And then he says this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I want to challenge you today. Finish your race. First, finish your race for the people around you. The people that know you right now and are watching your life. You need to finish well as an encouragement to those that are around you. Last week was Ray Hans's funeral. And at the funeral, I just had just uh, like a, a minute to share. And I shared that in Genesis five twenty four, it says Enoch walked with God. In Hebrews eleven five it said that Enoch had a testimony that he pleased God. And that's the picture of Ray Hans's life. He was a man who loved God's word and walked with God. And I believe had a testimony that he pleased God. Listen, we need to finish well so that people around us have no doubt. But we not only need to finish for the people that are around you, but you need to finish for the people that are behind you. As we we think about this legacy that we are leaving, the legacy behind us. Boy, I've got so much still to say. Let me me just kind of begin to reel this in. Listen, parents, especially those in, in, in first service, what I have found through uh, 29 years in ministry. Next year will be 30 years in ministry. This is what I found. That a lot of times when your kids are in the house, you're faithful, 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 faithful. You're at everything. And then when your kids get out of the house, sometimes you feel like, well, I've done my job, and then I let up on my spiritual life. Can I challenge you? To not let up. I'm not saying that you have to be at everything and do everything that you did when you were 30, but I'm saying, I mean, keep that spark, keep that passion, keep that first love focused in your life and come to a point that your great grandkids and your grandkids and your children watch and say, man, he ran to the end for the people behind you. They're watching. Grandma, and Grandma Grandpa went to church all of their life, and now, now, now I, I see that they they don't they don't care about it so much anymore. But can I tell you, make a difference. I, I realize that as you get older, you can't make everything. I realize that sometimes you can't even come to church. I understand that. Listen, I'm not I'm not saying that. What I am saying is finish well. People are watching you. But then. He also challenges them for the reward that's before him. Notice, as we look at this passage, he says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. The victor's crown. That the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. <laughs> and then notice those next words. And not to me only. You know what that means? You can get that crown too. To all who've loved his appearing. I've told this story before, but uh, quickly, let me just wrap things up. When I was a, a boy, uh, my brother wasn't feeling well. It was Sunday night church and uh, he wasn't feeling well. And so uh, being his older brother, I volunteered to stay home from him with him from church training and, and church on Sunday night. And uh, then since I was staying home, then my next youngest brother uh, stayed home. So it was me, and uh, I was probably about sixth grade, my brother about fourth grade, my other brother about second grade. And then one of my brother-in-laws decided that he would make the sacrifice and stay. Well, future brother-in-laws, and my sisters weren't married yet, but one of their boyfriends decided that he would stay with us as well. And uh, do you believe in miracles? I mean, because after the car pulled out of the driveway, my brother felt amazingly well. I mean, it was like a miracle had taken place. So so we spent Sunday night playing hockey in the garage. And uh, we had a great time. The problem is, is in those days, you didn't have garage door openers. And so we were being loud And my dad came and lifted that garage door up in in quite a hurry because it was raining outside. And there we were, caught. I don't know about you, but I want to be ready in season and out of season and at any time to meet the Lord. And one day Jesus is coming, and I pray that you'll be prepared or the reward that you'll get, the crown of righteousness. And I don't want to make light of this, but I do want to tell you, I don't see any participation trophies for those who just merely showed up. He tells us that the crown of righteousness is going to be given to those who have lived a righteous life and have loved his appearing. You can get this crown. Paul says it's not only for me, but for you also. Are you ready? Do you know that you know Jesus today? Have you received him in your life? Are you running your race? Fulfilling your ministry in the word until he comes. With that, let's pray. God, thank you for your word and challenge us to be people uh, of the book. And uh, Lord, we recognize you're on the throne. And we know that the last days are going to be challenging. And we know that we're in the, the... the last days, at least to us now, it's later than it's ever been, so help us to shine as a light in a dark world, to make a difference for the kingdom, to do the work of an evangelist so that people can come to know Jesus, and Lord, may we be people of prayer. Lord, if there's someone who doesn't know Jesus today, I pray that you'd open up their heart, that they'd recognize that hope is not found in, in self, in government, and religion, it's found in Jesus alone, and it's in your awesome and holy name we pray. Amen.